With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average, and those savings add up. Imagine what you could buy in the future. So I used the savings from switching to Progressive 30 years ago to buy tickets to the championship game. You know, between those two teams that didn't exist 30 years ago? Yeah, I'm a big Alaska Palm Trees fan. Which is a team now, in the future. So switch to Progressive and save big because those savings can add up in the future. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National annual average insurance savings by new customer surveyed who saved with Progressive in 2020. Potential savings will vary. And what's up, what's up? Wes Mitchell here, Chris Clark. Welcome into Gamecock Central Live. We are live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and after the fact, uh, not live, but very quickly after uh, the show is posted on all the major podcast platforms. So if you don't want to use your video data or you want to listen in the car, listen at work, whatever it may be, um, go ahead and subscribe to us on all the major podcast platforms and you'll get our daily show, which is brought to you by AffordableMedicalUSA.com, 803-926-1493. They are home of the game day chair which I'm sure Chris will tell you all about a little bit later on. We are rolling through the bye week. It is Wednesday, which means uh, you know no must champ on Tuesday of the bye week, no player availability with the media. But you do have a, a Wednesday SEC teleconference. Muschamp spoke on that a little bit earlier, actually um, less than an hour ago. I've got some clips from that I'm going to play at some point, and I'll have those up on YouTube here shortly, and then Muschamp actually has uh, the call-in show tonight, uh, normally on Thursday. That will be tonight, and then, um, uh, of course, no real media availabilities for the rest of the week, so we'll, we'll get that, and uh, we'll, of course, have a report on that on GamecockCentral.com. Then we'll roll through the bye week, and we'll focus on Texas A&M um, next week. Chris, what's up? Hey, man. What's going on? <laughs> Uh, a lot, uh, you know, rolling through the bye week, took the bye week to do a little bit of research, just published a piece on Gamecock Central that's drawn some uh, discussion. Maybe we'll get into that later, but, uh, good to be here on this Wednesday of the bye week and good to see everybody rolling in. Some of our regulars not here yet. So no, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I think the, I think we uh, sort of sprung it on them with the surprise uh, with the early time. Yeah, early time here. We're going to be joined here shortly by Mike Matulis. And like I said, man, we're going to try to have guests um, really throughout the week, maybe even probably going into next week just because it's the bye week and there's obviously not a game to talk about. And I, I think a, a situation where uh, it gives us an opportunity to sort of catch up with some former Gamecocks. Today we got Mike Matulis. I've, I've been chatting with Casey Crosby a little bit. I'm going to try to get him on at some point. We'll have Perry Orth. We have Eric Kimry. I think those are locked in. And then I, I talked to KJ Brent a little bit. I just heard back from him. We're going to try to get a time set up for him. So, uh, you know, obviously it's a little bit more difficult right now to try and get any of the NFL guys on. But some of the former Gamecocks that are getting into other things right now, we can get them on. And, and Mike has a big fight on Saturday. I, for those who don't haven't really seen this or followed it, Mike Matulis is apparently going to be a heck of a boxer, and, and already is, don't get me wrong, but is still relatively young in that business. And uh, I talked to Mike a, a little bit, uh, interview I'm going to play for you all here shortly. But, dude, I, I don't, Chris, I don't know if you've bumped into Mike around town lately. He was living in Texas for a little while. He's back in South Carolina living in the area. I bumped into him at Cantina a few months back. Dude, I I pity the person who's about to get in a ring with this guy. Cause I mean, Mike, he he's in shape, man. He, he looks great. And I, I can imagine, uh, you know, if anybody, if you're bored on Saturday, you don't have anything to do. You don't have any plans. Mike is going to be fighting at the, uh, Jamil shrine temple, uh, right here in Columbia. It's also going to be streamed. I'll have that information on the interview, 
But, dude, ain't nobody messing with Mike Matulis these days. I, I still remember the day you either called me or texted me and said, I just ran into Mike Matulis, and holy cow, you know, we were talking about that. And, man, I remember Mike coming out of high school, you know, the recruiting class that he was in. I want to say – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it wrong. I think it was the 2011 class that he was in. And um, pretty highly regarded prospect. He did some good things at Carolina. He was sort of an undervalued guy along the O-line. Had some injuries, I remember, that sort of hampered his career a little bit. And, man, you remember the other day you mentioned on the show how offensive linemen either get really big after they finish playing or they go the opposite way and they get really skinny yeah. or like really, really fit. Matulis yeah. is in that category, right? Like, like Joe Thomas, you know, who used to play for the Browns. He's fit Finley now and he's on all these, you know, doing, I don't know, keto diet or whatever. And I mean, looks outstanding and, uh, Mike, yeah, crazy man. But, um, I'm really looking forward to the interview you did with him and, and to see, uh, you know, what he had to say. Yeah. And we talked, we talked about that a little bit, so I, I won't give it away, but the, the amount these guys, cause man, I mean, you know, it, it's, if you're going to be an SEC offensive lineman, the sort of what parameters, uh, measurables that they're looking for is pretty. I mean, it's kind of a, a thin window you're aiming for there. Mm-hmm. There's not really, I mean, height wise, you got to be what at least six two, and then you're really on the the low end. You're going to play inside if you're six two, mm-hmm. and. You know, these guys are everywhere from there to about, I mean, generally your offensive tackles are 6'4", 6'5", 6'6". But then weight-wise, I mean, I was looking, Mike was listed at 6'5", 293 as, as a senior on Gamecocks Online. That's really about as as fit as they'll let you be in the SEC. You really almost have to be at least 290, but a lot of these guys now are 300, 310. And if you're on the interior – you're definitely 310, 315 or more. So the amount of food these guys have to eat, and I, again, I won't give it away. He talked about it a little bit. The amount of food these guys have to eat to maintain weight for a lot of them at this level is just insane. So I know it's it's a it's a much different type of fitness in that business, but I know Mike is happy. It sounds like a cool idea to just be able to eat, eat, eat all day, but it's really not. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember uh, there was somebody at South Carolina. It was not Mike. It was somebody that they had to put a bunch of weight on when he got here. I, I don't think it was Sedarius Hutcherson, but there was a player. Somebody can weigh in, or, or Wes, if you remember, but you're talking about how much peanut butter they ate. You know, I always pictured him with like in the in, in Thomas Cooper Library or something before the Doty was open, with a giant jar of peanut butter and like a ruler, and just like eating it, you know, with with a spoon or a ruler or something. But yeah, I mean, it, it's a lot. It is not. I've talked to people in high school and who are about to go in college, or if you run into somebody who is in college and they're talking about the nutrition and they're they're really annoyed, you know, by how much they have to eat. Um, it's just it's like a full time job. So Travis Edwards says it was Hutch, so maybe it was. It might have been him. Maybe it's Hutch and somebody else. I feel like there are some other guys too that you know said similar things. Well, I know um, Brandon Wallace. As far as the basketball team, I, I think when they were trying to put weight on him, which apparently his metabolism was just insane through the roof, off the charts. Uh, had to had to just eat crazy. Amounts and a, a lot of these offensive linemen, you know, similarly to like I said, how they either lose a bunch of weight or add a bunch of weight after most of them come in having to either add weight or or lose weight, you know, coming in from high school as well. So it, it's kind of a uh, a full circle deal there. Um, you know, I, I think it, it is interesting. Let's uh, and by the way, what's up uh, to everybody else hopping in? What's up, Toby, Randy, Nathan, Travis, Craig? Craig, you can br- you can blame Chris for the start times. That's on him. 
Um, it, is, it is. I'm sorry, guys. I, I'm, I'm really I felt guilty ever since we started. Um, honestly, and you are making it worse. So I'm sorry about that. I'll have to make it up to you somehow. Uh, Travis says he had a former teammate under Lou who played left guard, left high school at 280, got up to 310. I mean, that's 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 fairly common these days. I feel like maybe not from 240 to 310, but I mean, it, it does happen. You see, especially at lower level programs where you have to take the the lower level of a program you are, the more risk you sort of have to take on on guys. So if, if you're an athlete, you have a frame. And they see, hey, this guy has everything else, but he's 240. They say, uh, let, let's go for it. Um, you know, let's take him and, and try to put some pounds on him. The best one ever. I don't know if this one will ever be topped. Um, Lane Johnson was out of high school, you know, first round pick by the Eagles. In high school, he was a 6'5, 202-pound think rivals had him as a pro style quarterback and so then he he gets to Oklahoma he spends time as a tight end and I think as a defensive end when he comes out of Oklahoma as an offensive tackle an eventual first round pick NFL combine numbers 6-6-317 so this guy put on 115 pounds from the time he's a high school senior to NFL combine Incredible. I mean, and, and if you go back and look at pictures, I mean, go back, just Google a picture of Lane Johnson from high school and then what he looked like coming, you know, out of Oklahoma senior year NFL combine. It is it's startling. That That's probably the best one ever or, or one of the best ones. Yeah, that's probably the craziest one. So, all right, I mean, we, we actually, strangely enough, it is a Wednesday, a random Wednesday in the bye week. We do actually have plenty to talk about. Uh, Chris is going to get you all fired up with his um, his article he put out today. And then uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, – I'll have that audio ready from the uh, SEC teleconference with Will Muschamp. Gives a slight little update, I would say, just on his feelings on the team, you know, right now as, as things stand. So I, I will say let's go ahead. Let's go out. I just recorded this with Mike, let's see, about two hours ago. So it is fresh. Uh, Mike fighting at the – Jamil Shrine Temple here in Columbia on Saturday. Tickets are still available, or you can stream it um, online if you want to watch and, and you know aren't really comfortable getting out there and a bunch of people. But let's go ahead. Let's go to that. Then Chris and I will be right back, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more you know, about what's going on as far as the midweek and, and what Muschamp had to say um, earlier today. And as promised, joined now by former Gamecock offensive lineman Mike Matulis. Mike, uh, sort of making the transition into the fighting, the boxing world, man. Obviously, I, I, I would imagine there's some some carryover from having to block big SEC defensive linemen and now maybe taking out your aggression um, in another arena. But, uh, Mike, first of all, thanks for being on, man. I know you're excited about Saturday. Um, how's everything been going with you, dude? It's going well further, and thank you for having me on. Very excited to be here and talk to some uh, some Gamecock fans again. Uh very excited for Saturday night. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, so um, go ahead and get this out of the way. If anybody wants to watch online, it's at watchvyre.com slash lights out. That's $9.99. Or they can go see you in person, Jamil Shrine Temple, right here in Columbia. I think doors open at 6 o'clock. You're fighting LaMarco Ellis. But, um, dude, so tell us, how did you sort of transition from the football world into the fight world um, I know I've, I've sort of been following a little bit from a distance. I'd heard you'd been fighting. How, how long have you sort of been in this arena? And just tell us how it kind of got started. What what sort of opened that door for you, man? Uh, for about four years now, uh, I've been in the in the fighting world. Uh, I first started just to, you know, stay competitive in something, lose weight. Uh, and then one of my coaches, the guy who I'm with now, Corey Goodwin, he, he told me, he's like, don't stop. Um, you know, after the first time that we started training together, he's like, don't stop, just keep training, keep working on it. And he's like, you can make something of it. And uh, I took it and I ran with it. Um, you know, it brought me out to Houston, uh, with, I had some people bring me out there, some awesome people worked with a lot of great fighters out there and excited to bring it back here in Columbia. Um, like, like I talked about, man, I, I think there's probably some carryover, um, from, from football and, and at least the aggressive nature of, of both sports. But what, um, 
what what have you learned I, I guess as far as what what has carried over from from playing football in the SEC and then the aspects of that 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 sort of apply to uh, to boxing as well some things that people have told me too your footwork uh, your feet you know it's just like the the steps smaller steps controlled steps um, that's it's a you fight with your feet so a lot of that had carried over especially when you're playing offensive line your steps have to be quick they have to be fast powerful uh, so that definitely carried over and, and the aggressive side of it you know I mean like you said going up against guys that are 300 pounds I mean it's a car crash every time on that line and so it, it helps carry over into the fight world I mean you know I'm not afraid of that contact uh, I'm, I'm right up in there in the mix I, I know um, whenever guys sort of play football their whole life um, and they make sort of that decision all right what, what am I going to do next a, a lot of times they're looking for that avenue to sort of get their competitive juices going to release, uh, you know, maybe some of that physicality that you've been, you know, playing a game your whole life. Um, have you been able to sort of find that in boxing? I know obviously if you play football your whole life, you probably love ball. Have you, mm-hmm. have you sort of been able to find that love in, in this avenue as well? I have. Uh, and I love football and I love my time at Carolina, but I, boxing is, it's got a special spot in my heart. Um, I mean, it's, there's nothing like being in the ring. I mean, when the punches are coming and the, you know, your head's, I mean, it, there's just nothing like it. Uh, so I, I have a love for, for the fighting. I have the love for martial arts and boxing. It's a, it's a whole different sport. It's a whole different animal. Um, so I definitely have a big love for, and respect for it. Yeah. So what, what was that transition like, man, when you first maybe uh, got in the ring for the first time, you probably have some expectations, um, you know, about what, what part's going to be easy, what part's maybe going to be harder. Um, what was it sort of like, all right, boom, I'm pretty good at this, or was it oh. kind of like, like, oh, my God, this is way harder than I thought? <laughs> way harder than I thought. I mean, that, those first three minutes I, I about threw up. I mean, it's 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 the longest three minutes of your life, you know, when you're not in shape. And uh, so that was one of the things that I learned quickly is to get in shape. And, you know, I mean, the defense, keeping your hands up, hitting and not getting hit, um, it's, it's a whole different um, – you know, a whole different learning curve that I had to get through, but it was fun. It was challenging. And, you know, and I'm still learning. I'm still getting better every day that I'm training and every day that I get in there, but uh, it's definitely a different learning curve. Yeah. I'm kind of, kind of curious, man, on sort of the fitness end of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would have been at South Carolina, sort of um, the tail end of Spurrier era. So I'm trying, would, would that have been Joe Connolly uh, strength coach? Yes. So what, what, are maybe the differences if you sort of get down into the details, um, the, the fitness side of training for boxing. Um, it, it seems like, man, offensive linemen, there's sort of like a weight profile they're always wanting guys to be at. If you're going to mm-hmm. play SEC, you know, offensive tackle or guard, they want you to be at least 6'3", you know, maybe 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", and they want you to be at least like 290 pounds, I feel like, maybe more. It seems like offensive linemen, when they get out of football, some of them either get honestly way out of shape yeah. <laughs> or they, they sort of trim down. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what has that sort of part of the process been like, like the fitness side of this sport versus uh, football? Endurance too. I mean, it's, you know, it's uh, getting in shape. I mean, your football is that quick, you know, a play lasts an average of what, seven or eight seconds, you know, the fight, the round lasts about three minutes. So you're in there for a lot longer. The, the fight's going on for much more uh, duration. And then the difference is, too, with the strength training. I mean, I, I don't hit the weights as hard. As, you know, I'm not squatting as much weight. I'm not benching as much weight. I don't, I don't need to do that. More of it is just kind of um, making me better for boxing or making me better for fighting as far as just body weight, body control, body movement. Uh, and then that longer duration of being able to do sprints and, and running distance. I think, man, from what I was always told when you were here playing ball, you were already sort of a pretty health-conscious guy as far as what you eat, what you put in your body. Mm-hmm. Um, has that part of it changed at all with uh, with the with training with this? Yes, and thankfully, too, because while it was fun, I just I don't have to eat as much food. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, you tell people that, and they're like, oh, that's great. You get to eat as much as you want. And you're like, mm, you know, because I'm eating – two things of baked chicken, like two cup, three cups of rice. And I'm eating that for like six or eight meals a day when I was trying to gain weight. Um, so my, my meals have just cut back. I, I don't eat as much. 
and it's great feeling. <laughs> yeah, you're not having to just like pound. Just yeah. Your, do you do you know what sort of calorie count you're on when you were having to make sort of weight at South Carolina? I mean, anywhere from eight thousand to nine thousand calories. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a lot of food, a lot. Wow, that, that that's crazy, man. So let let let's go back. Um, obviously, you signed with South Carolina. You're from Florida originally. Um, we obviously cover a lot of recruiting on Gamecock Central. So do do you remember um, much about? sort of the recruiting process and how it played out and what the sort of deciding factors were that, that led you to South Carolina in the first place? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, we were, we were actually, I was at dinner with uh, Garrett Anderson and, and Brock Stadnick the other night and we, and we were just talking about it. Um, you know, one of the big things for me was coach Elliott. Uh, you know, I love South Carolina. I mean, that's, you know, I went out to Texas for a couple of years and I was in New Orleans for a little bit and, uh, ultimately, I can't. I love the state of South Carolina. It's a beautiful place with beautiful people. Um, but for football wise, you know, the stadium, I mean, I came on my recruiting visit to when we beat the number one Alabama. I mean, a hell of a visit. Uh, and then not only that, just Coach Elliott was a phenomenal coach. I mean, I remember seeing him in that mosh pit for Alabama. And he came out face all bloodied and and he was just jazzed up. I mean, he looked sometimes more fired up than the players. And, and I was like, I can I can get behind that. Have you been able to follow him much at all? And obviously at, at Georgia State, man, he's gotten his shot there as, as you know, mm-hmm. a head coach. And it seems to be going really well for him there. Have, have you been able to sort of follow him after you left Carolina? I have. I, I You know, occasionally we'll write to each other on social media and stuff. Um, and I follow him. So I, I've seen what he's doing over there. And he's it's no surprise to me. He's a hell of a coach. All right, man. So you're you're there at South Carolina for like the I mean the golden years, you know, every everything um you know going well. Uh, you you get to play with some obviously some great players alongside you as well. What what do you maybe remember about South Carolina as sort of your uh maybe fondest memories mm-hmm. in South Carolina, whether it's big picture or, or one specific day, um just anything that stands out to you about your your best times there? Uh, winning, you know, I mean, when we had those years where we were winning, I mean, I, I remember just, you know, you walked around town and it was a lot different as far as how they treated you. Not, I don't know now because I'm not playing, but, you know, when they looked at you, people were like, oh, you played for Carolina, you know, you played for Carolina, you played for Carolina. And it was just the amount of respect that you got. It was, uh, it was, it was really cool. Uh, and, and coming from South Florida, you know, there's Miami and stuff like that, but they don't really gravitate towards college football like they do here. And so when I came here and in those first couple of years, seeing that, it was it was really cool. A great experience. I know everybody sort of has a, a Spurrier story. So what uh, I'll ask you open-endedly, what, what was it like playing for somebody as just different, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word? I mean, I feel like Spurrier doesn't act like most coaches. Um, what was it like playing for Steve Spurrier, man? It was unreal. Uh I mean, we, and his wife, Jerry, was mm-hmm. she was an absolute angel. Um, but playing for him, you knew where you stood. Uh, if, if, if he didn't like you, you knew. And that's – that's you can't ask for more than that, um, you know, especially in, in this uh, business of college football. You know, Coach Spurrier lets you know where you stood. Um, but he was – he was different. Do, do you remember any – is there a specific Spurrier story that stands out uh, just um, that you'll always remember or anything like that? Uh, my recruiting visit, when he came actually home to uh, see me in Florida, he came for the dinner that we had at the house. And he just – the stuff he – you know, he used to <laughs> – we had a – we were eating dinner. And, um, you know, my dad's like, all right, you know, Mike wants to come to South Carolina. Uh, we're – you know, we're going to need some rings. And Coach Spurrier just kind of sits back and, you know, he's sitting like this and he goes, shoot, man, I've already got my rings. You know, I don't, I've got them. And so he just very, very cocky, you know, he just, who he was. Um, And uh, that to me is always just, it stood out because, I mean, we were dying laughing. Uh, You know, all the coaches were laughing. and uh, It was a, he, he didn't care. You know, he just, he, he said what he felt and he liked it. Awesome. If you didn't, awesome. Were, were you already committed at that point, or that was the day you committed? Or? I was. Yeah, I committed um, 
actually after my first unofficial visit here to Carolina. I got you. I got you. And um, obviously, everybody sort of has an opinion on how things are going now. Um, kind of a roller coaster ride of a season so far. Big win against Auburn. Um, obviously, ugly loss LSU. I know you said you've been watching them a little bit. Uh, what's sort of been your take and uh, maybe your take on the offensive line? It seems like uh, the run blocking, like the running game, has sort of been there with these guys. Yes, and that, that's something that I was going to say. I mean, as far as running, they look good, uh, you know, on the offensive line. And it's it's a tough season. Um, you know, the circumstances that we came into it, uh, you know, with a new offensive coordinator, new quarterback, um, you know, at times they look really good. And at times, you know, there's some things that they can definitely work on. Uh, but I, I worked for Muschamp. I was an intern for a little bit, and I think he's a hell of a coach too. Um, you know, so well, hopefully they can turn some things around and, and fix some of the little kinks in the armor. Yeah, so you um you were there sort of for the transition. Then I, I know your uh, your last year would have also been Spurrier's last year, I guess, mm-hmm. right? And then yes. in turn with uh, with Muschamp, what was that like? I mean, even just from the media side, like I'll never forget when I got a text saying, "Hey, just off the practice field, Steve Spurrier is retiring," and I'm like, "At the end of the year?" And they're like, "No, like yeah. he's he's done." So where? I know everybody sort of has a story of where they were within the program. When when, when did you actually find out? Um, and who did you hear from Spurrier himself, or, or how did that play out from, from your end? Yeah, so we were right there on the field. I mean, he called us up after practice, and he was like, uh, you know, not, not, not these words aren't verbatim, but he was just essentially, he was like, you know, sometimes you know when, it's, when you're done. And he goes, you know, I, I'm, I'm done. And I remember Miss Spurrier was definitely, you could see that there was a lot of emotion going on and, and, you know, and it wasn't like he came out right and said, Hey, I'm done. It just kind of used those words and, and everyone's looking around like what, you know, what just happened. And uh, I remember getting a text from coach Elliot later that night. And he's like, yeah, it's uh, we're in the hunt for a new coach. So, so he told y'all, but even then you're kind of like, what, what exactly did he yeah. At that point, it was like a shell shock almost, you know, I mean, it was, it was wild. Yeah. That, yeah, that's crazy, man. So, all right, let, let's get back to the fight on, uh, on Saturday, man. Um, what, uh, I, I imagine most of the preparation is sort of done. You're just getting, getting to the fight now, but what did the next few days look like for you as you get yourself physically, mentally prepared, uh, you know, for battle on Saturday? Uh, the physical part's done. Now it's, you know, staying loose, stretching, getting a good sweat in. Um, you know, we'll do some training tonight. A couple, I, I like to walk the day of, you know, I like to go up for a nice long walk in the morning, uh, kind of clear my mind, no music, no nothing. Uh, but it's just, the big part of it is just getting mentally ready. I got you. And uh, I want to encourage everybody watching or listening, uh, go check Mike out either in person, uh, Jamil Shrine Temple this Saturday night. Doors open at 6 o'clock, or I'm going to put it up on the screen. Watch vyre.com slash lights out. You can watch it on there. Mike, if they haven't seen you fight before, man, what can the Gamecock fans that want to follow you and uh, watch you on Saturday, what can they expect from you on Saturday, man? A big win. Come out and check it out. See for yourself. We're about to bring boxing to Columbia, South Carolina. You heard it right there. That's Mike Matulis. Mike, man, we appreciate the time. Great to see you're doing well, man. You look really, really happy, man. So I'm happy for you. And uh, let's do this again, all right? And uh, get yeah, that big awesome. on Saturday, man. Okay. Thank you for having me, man. Have a good one, Chris. Again, no, nobody's messing with Mike Matulis in a boxing ring, man. Like man. The, the dude has his stuff together. And uh, I know um, our, our buddy Mike Guve over at Watch Fox um, talked that did a story on. Uh, I can't remember who the trainer is that, that he talked with, former boxer, that said Mike has got a chance to be really, really good in in this business. And I, I'm, I'm not doubting him, man, because I, I think athletically the size, the reach, and, and then just the mindset that Mike has always had, I, I wouldn't bet against him. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, yeah, physically, he look, he looks tremendous. Um, and so I'm going to tune in, man. I'm going to check that out. Won't be able to get up there, but I have to find a way to uh, to watch that fight and see. Because I'll be really, you know, always liked Mike coming out of high school, really liked him, always liked watching him play at South Carolina, really liked what he was about, you know, sort of what he was made of. And athletically, he had a lot going for him, too. So I'm, uh, 
I'm going to have to check that out. Be really curious to just watch him in, in that setting, you know? Yeah, Craig asked, did I say he's fighting at the Jalil Skinner Temple? I don't think I said that. Hopefully I said the correct thing. It's the, the Jamil Shrine Temple. That, that's what I've always called the building. Uh, it's over there. It's kind of behind 126. Yeah, on a little front. I, I think near I-20, near – yeah, near uh, – what is it? Uh, Malfunction yeah. Junction over that way. Um, but – yeah, Mike. Uh, Mike's a cool dude, man. It's good to catch up with him, and good to be able to bring you all those. All right, so I guess we'll, we'll use the final half here of the show to talk a little bit about um, the the team going forward, big picture stuff. And, and as I teased, Muschamp did talk on SEC teleconference today, and I, I thought one of the better questions. And I'm not just saying that because Colin asked it, but Muschamp was asked. You know, what, what do you need to see the final four, five games? What, what are you focused on the most? What's been the focus this week at, at practice? And I think I have that queued up. So I'm, I was sort of – I couldn't quite hear as I was cutting it because I had to keep the interview rolling. Um, so I was cutting this while we were rolling the Mike Matulis interview. But I think you're, the next thing you hear will be Will Muschamp talking about the next five games. If it's not, then um, we'll just uh, cut it out and we'll just, we'll tell you, tell you what he had to say. Well, I think overall improvement on the defensive side of the ball. I think early on we, we gave up more explosive passes than we have. Uh, and uh, that was extremely disappointing. And then I think the run defense the last couple of weeks has not been what we needed to be. So we, we've got to improve them on, on both levels as far as our, our run defense is concerned and our, and our pass defense is concerned. Uh, continue to to explore for more explosive players on offense. Shaw's been outstanding. Deshaun and Kevin have been really good. Nick Muse has been a very good tight end for us in our first ball, uh, five ball games. We need somebody else to emerge. Jalen Brooks. I mean, get some other guys involved offensively to give us some more opportunities uh, to, to 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 move the ball down the field. We're coming off a game that we needed to finish some drives, but you average eight yards a play. That's pretty explosive offensively. Uh, so we've got to continue to find more guys offensively that can that can put us in position to score and uh and those are the, the two things i think special teams obviously um you know parker probably will end up kicking off as we continue to move forward um you know we just need to be more consistent there as far as the placement of the ball and the, and the depth and direction um and the hang time obviously is an issue i think kai continues to come on and punt well for us uh and, and uh, we'll continue to to try and get an advantage on special teams yeah, so I actually had that queued up uh, exactly where I wanted it. So, Chris, my my takeaway there is I, I think South Carolina probably uses this bye week and, and then next week as an opportunity to try to do everything they can, A, to get Jalen Brooks ready, and B, I think you're trying to, if you can, bring along – one or two of these these freshmen, I think whether whether it's get, trying to get Rico Powers ready, which um, he was a a DNP on Saturday, didn't play. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if there, you know, is a reason for that. But whether it's Powers or dude, I keep hearing Jakari Caldwell's name come up from people I talk to that he's made plays in practice, but it's still a matter of getting to that consistent point where you know the scheme and you know exactly what you're doing and, you know, you know all the plays. So I'm circling those guys, man. And then I'm even starting to wonder, Chris, can you use the bye week to get an Eric Shaw or a Jaheim Bell involved? Um, Somebody asked uh, any word on Kevin Mullins' injury. I, I don't have an answer there. That would be something for us to try to find out. But, you know, maybe trying to get him, if he is healthy, more involved and in, in getting him in those good matchups because we've seen he can win some matchups for you if you scheme him in, into those spots. So, to me, Chris, those are some guys just strictly talking about the offensive side of the ball, reading between the lines, what we know about the team and what Muschamp is saying. You're going to do everything you can to try and, and get those guys ready 
for this final half of the season, I think. Yeah, finding playmakers. I mean, um, you know, we came into this year thinking about questions with this team um, at running back, at receiver, even at tight end, you know, behind Nick Muse and behind Shai Smith. And Kevin Harris has emerged, Deshaun Fenwick's emerged. We discussed those things. Shai's been good. Nick Muse has been good for the most part. But it's about the other guys around those. And so Kevion Mullins has – He's come along. He, he was a leading receiver in terms of yardage against LSU. So hopefully for his sake, um, for the team's sake, he's okay and will be okay going forward. But you're right. They do have to bring some more guys along. Who are those guys? We don't really know yet. So taking this bye week, you know, to be able to try to find those guys and then getting them into game situations, figuring out, who, okay, who are our best guys? How can we use them? And then going out there and scheming up some ways to get them open and then going out there and executing that's obviously going to be a key for this team going forward. The offense has, you know, have they left some points out there? Have they, you know, have they scuffled on some drives during the first five games? Sure. But they've been more consistent, you know, than the defensive side of the ball. And so um, you look at this team overall, there's some things on in every phase of the game, including special teams, which Will Muschamp addressed there, that they've got to get better in. They've got to be more consistent in offensively, really, it's just about trying to find a way to be more explosive in the passing game, I think, is the main thing. If you can do that, then you have an opportunity to have this offense take a next step forward. Is it going to turn around and be some super explosive passing offense? No. But can they find another guy or two that can make a few plays for them down the field? I think that's the key, you know, offensively to trying to build on what they're doing so far. Yeah, and and I'll say, man, the offense has by far exceeded my expectations already. Bobo has done a great job of taking what he has and and sort of putting together an offense that does move the football for the most part and does give the team a chance. Uh, I think uh, the big thing is just that the the defense has been far more inconsistent than I ever uh, thought. Um, Craig asked if Mullins has an ankle injury. I don't know if I – was that ever actually said what the injury was? I couldn't tell what it was. Yeah, I couldn't tell if it was something in the ankle or the leg or – you know, hopefully not something like an Achilles or something, but I, I couldn't really tell, honestly, what it was. Um, he, he sort of dragged, you know, limped and dragged himself off the field, but I could not tell exactly what it was. Yeah, it um, it wasn't one of those – luckily, you know, and I don't really like to speculate on injuries, but hopefully it's nothing serious because it wasn't one of those injuries – I mean, y'all know how it is. You, you've all watched enough ball. Sometimes a guy goes down and it's instantly obvious – what happened, you know, what, what's injured and it looks really bad. And you're like, well, that guy's out for a while. Um, William says he had a boot on post game. So that, that wouldn't lend you to think, uh, you know, that it is an, an ankle. So, so we'll see ankles. I can personally attest to, um, depending on how bad they are, they can take way longer than you might think to, to bring you back. But hopefully his isn't really a bad ankle injury. So we'll just see. Um, we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, I think offense has not been the problem. Is there definitely some ways that can improve? Absolutely. The running game has been there. I I, I liked the little wrinkle with, with Dodie down there at the goal line. I, I'm i not against maybe mixing him in there a little more from time to time just as a change of pace. Now, the other part of this, Chris, for the most part, their red zone, and you know, I normally think of mixing in a Wildcat quarterback in short yardage or goal line situations. Their red zone offense for most of the year has been really good. So I don't know if you sit there and say, well, why aren't they doing this down there when generally the red zone offense has been give the ball to Kevin Harris or, um, you know, let Colin Hill use that that big frame on, on the quarterback sneak. And, and they've been good down there in those areas. So, don't know if that's necessarily a problem, but if you're looking for some more ways to maybe spark things, I wouldn't be opposed, you know, to some to some Luke Doty um, getting his shots in there just a, as a change of pace and not necessarily a Wildcat quarterback, but I think you show it as a Wildcat and then you build some some pass plays off of that. The other thing Muschamp said, defense. I think the scary part here, Chris, is that. He's talking about, you know, you talk about a defense, you're talking about rush, and you're talking about cover. You're talking about stopping the uh, the running game of your opponent. 
when you look at the first five games and you say, man, there's issues on all ends of that conversation, that's when you're like, man, that's that's not a good sign because it's no really one thing that you can just focus on and, and try and fix. Yeah, it's been all of it, right? The explosive plays, um, getting gashed in the run game, which we've talked about, I feel like, ad nauseum, you know, over the past really five weeks or for, for the first five games, explosive plays, um, tackling, you know, all those different things have come up at one time or another. Obviously, the all of those things reared their ugly head a little bit against LSU, a team that can make you pay if you aren't doing those things. Well, I, I still go back to I think the biggest issue that the other ones sort of prey off of if you've got this issue, is is stopping the run. Too many longer first down runs, getting yourself into some bad situations. It was almost miraculous that South Carolina had the third down conversion percentage rates that they did earlier in the year. But then we saw at LSU lots of first and shorts, second and shorts, third and shorts, and that meant an 80% conversion rate, and that meant it, it was difficult for you. Then that plays into field position, and that plays into your relying on turnovers, you know, and and holding teams to field goals, that did not happen against LSU. So um, that becomes really tough, you know, and and what are the solutions? I'm not really sure. I do think, you know, the team misses Sherrod Green. I think they need some more depth at linebacker. They need to just somehow, I don't know the answer, I'll be honest, they've got to become more consistent up front. A lot of people brought up personnel changes. Frederick Cooper asked on YouTube, could they play more of the younger players? They are playing some young ones, you know, already, Wes. Um, Zach Pickens took the second most snaps of any defensive lineman on Saturday. Tonka Hemingway started since Aaron Sterling was still limited, you know, started the Auburn game, played and started, you know, played a good bit against LSU as well because Sterling was was still limited. Um, you know, Alex Huntley's been out. They might get him back for A&M. How ready is he going to be? You know, I think he just started practicing recently in full. So you have to consider he's a true freshman, you know, but can you get him in there a bit? Um, Makia Scott hasn't done much yet. Um, some of the home games, I don't think he's been dressed out even. So I don't know if the solution is a lot of personnel changes. You know, I think maybe you hope that Aaron Sterling gets back full, full go. Some of the younger players like Jordan Birch and Hemingway and Zach Pickens, who's still a young player, that they continue to come along. Maybe you hope that Rick Sandage can, you know, take a step forward because he hasn't been playing as much. There's, obviously reasons for that. I don't know what the solution is, you know, but I do know they've got to clean it up. They've got to get better because they're going to face, you know, some really good uh, competition there. Yeah. And I, I just, I don't know if you have any true um, big run stopping type defensive lineman um, on this team right now. And I, I think it's it sort of, it sort of showed. So we'll, we'll see if they can get some of those things cleaned up. I tell you that the guy we haven't talked about, man, that I didn't expect to be playing a lot this year that actually played way more um, than we probably expected has been MJ Webb, who started to get into the rotation there at defensive tackle. Now he is a, a little bit bigger bodied guy. I think a little bit wider from some of those other guys. I don't know exactly what they list him at weight wise, but he just appears to be a little bit wider guy. So I, I don't know if he can, um, you know, continue to, to possibly come on there and, and play uh, as well as he gets more comfortable or not. But we'll see. I, I think in some ways, man, they sort of miss a um, – not just – we all know about Javon Kinlaw and DJ Wanham. They maybe even miss a little bit of a Kobe Smith, you know, a guy who can just sort of hold his own, uh, force teams to double-team him, and sort of take up space there in the middle. And I, I think Kobe was quietly – very good at that as sort of a reserve for most of his, you know, most of his career. And then as a starter, uh, you know, alongside Ken law last year. So uh, I don't know. They're certainly missing some of those guys. Jody here makes a good point. Uh, he says we averaged 7.9 yards of play on 51 offensive snaps against LSU and still lost defense and mistakes killed us. I mean, I agree with you to an extent, Jody. I think there is, I think it's a bit of an oversimplification because, you look, the the offense did give up the pick six and the offense in a game where it was very obvious the offense was going to have to carry the day. Uh, obvious as the game went along, I should say, where you realize, hey, you're going to have to score some points to win today. Um, the, the equation sort of changes at that point, and the offense 
while they did move the football all day, they've got to finish some of these drives where you get down there. I mean, if if we're looking at this game, if the roles were reversed, we'd be saying, yeah, the South Carolina defense um, gave up some yardage, but they clamped down when they needed to in the red zone if things were swapped. You see what I'm saying? So I don't think you can sit there and say the offense had some great day. Uh, were they the biggest issue in this game? I would say no, but they're – you give up seven points when the offense is on the field, and you have several drives where you you miss on an opportunity. The deep, you know, that you want to go back. I, I've said all week long, Chris, that the pick six and the kickoff return for touchdown were the daggers. But you want to change the entire momentum and flow of this game. Score a touchdown after Izzy McQuamu puts you in outstanding field position. With the interception, you want to change the game, go get seven right there instead of three. And maybe it plays out completely differently. Um, and I'm not saying that from like a what if standpoint. I'm just talking about if we're going to talk about who holds the blame in this game, I think there's plenty of blame. Nope, nobody should be pointing fingers at any other side of the ball because there's plenty of blame to go around as far as how this game plays out, which, you know what? Hey, sometimes you play a good team. And LSU, I know they struggle to start the year. They are still a very talented team. Sometimes you play a team like this and it just gets away from you. It, snow, it snowballs. They take advantage of your mistakes. Everything just goes wrong. And you, you just have one of those days. I mean, it happens. So, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, and, and it's a great point about red zone play. And even extending it out from the red zone for the Gamecock offense in particular, just LSU territory. You know, you, the McQuamu situation, Carolina's got great field position. Then they're third and three from the 27. Throw an incomplete, you settle for a field goal. So they kick a field goal. You know, um, there was another time South Carolina had – they were in LSU territory. Can't remember the yard line, but they took a sack and then a penalty. And then they had a third and 24. So then they settle for the long field goal. They miss it. You know, they had a, a third and four from the 17 another incomplete pass, then they miss a field goal. Then they're at the 17 again of LSU. They have a third and nine. They got sacked, missed another field goal, right? So, I mean, I just mentioned, I think, three times that they were on the 25 or better, and they got a total of three points out of that. Now, some of it's normally you're making those field goals, right? But even if you're making those field goals, even you come away with nine instead of three, you've given yourself one score, you're trading out field goals for touchdowns. Not ideal situation. You got to go down there and score touchdowns. You got to prevent the other team from scoring touchdowns. They didn't either against LSU. It's been a pretty good area for this team on both sides of the ball all year. And so, like you said, in that game they didn't do either, and then everything snowballed on them. Just had so many things that went wrong in that one. Yeah, and you know it's let, let's try to tie all this in together. And if you want to, if you want to go really existential here about football and and the reasons for things happening the the beautiful thing about football is that there are so many variables involved within every single play is that it is rarely easy to pick out any one thing and sometimes it's 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 rarely easy to tell uh, you know is um like, like somebody said a second ago is it a is this a bad team or is it a bad night? And there are certainly some issues that we can see have sort of permeated every single game this year. Then there are certainly some issues where South Carolina has been much better in those particular areas than we saw on Saturday. But then you sort of get down to the point of matchups and how it's like if – if Chris and I go play a one-on-one basketball game with each other, neither one of us is really going to get embarrassed by the other, I think, because really? we're similar. You know, no, you, who's going to embarrass who? <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm saying dude, we're, we're similar build, similar athletically. Like We'd have to find out. We never played basketball against each other. We played just other just go with me here, man. Just go with me. <laughs> no, I, no, I got you. Yeah. If – if if the it's like if the best college team that's ever lived played an NFL team, 
on that given day, and you'd never watched football before in your life, you just tuned into that game, you'd be like, yo, these guys suck. And it's like, well, it's just a really bad matchup for the. It's all subject, like it's all based on who you're playing on that given day. So, and you know, they're they're, they're human beings. So, some days you're gonna play better than you did the day before. You know, the, the week before. So it, it's really hard to find that context you're looking for. And there's a question on here right now from Travis, who's one of our subscribers. Always has some really interesting takes. I, I feel like he says player development is a hot topic. How do you judge player development? Um, is it, and how much is on the player themselves? And you know, I, I think some sometimes. All right, let's take a player. Player A. Some some guy. Player A may be developed to his absolute potential but he may just not have as much of an upside. There may not be as high of a potential there, you know, as another guy. Player B may, you know, may, maybe is, maybe isn't quite to his potential yet, but it's, he still may be a better player just because he athletically is more gifted than, than his teammate. So then it becomes an area of, okay, are you evaluating well enough? Are you recruiting well enough? Um, and, and you may, everybody at the beginning of a class, everybody's sort of going after the same guys, it, you know, every, the no brainers are at the top of the class. And then it's like, okay, can you, how many of these no brainers can you convince to come to South Carolina when you're fighting against places with better, um, traditions, better records, better current programs than you. So point being, the reason I'm talking in all these circles is that the thing about football is it's very rarely any one particular thing, like which makes it very hard to dive in on what needs to be fixed in particular. What is the biggest issue for South Carolina as a team, as a program? It's hard to just narrow it down and say. It is, and, and then you got to go back and you look at – say you take a – if a team signs 10 four-stars in a class, whether it's Muschamp, Spurrier, or whoever else, another school totally – well, was the guy overrated, you know, like initially? And so maybe I, we've seen instances, West covering recruiting, where a school signs like a four-star kid and the staff themselves probably wouldn't have rated him a four-star, you know, if they had that rating. And so then it creates these expectations. And so when we see their final development, say, after they graduate, you know, after they exhaust their eligibility, then we look and say, well, so-and-so developed them – well, not well, whatever, when in reality there's a lot of nuance to that. You know, I think you look back and, um, you know, at, at, for instance, at the beginning of the Muschamp tenure, so they recruited Brian Edwards. He was committed to Spurrier and backed off, but they re-recruited and they got him in the boat. So that was a first-year player. They also recruited Jake Mentley. They were gifted Debo Samuel and Hayden Hurst, right? Very good gift. Good gift. You look at it, you look at the totality, the sum instead of the parts. They didn't do enough with those guys offensively, right? I mean, am I, am I right in that? Uh, overall, when you look at the big picture, they didn't do enough with those guys, some of the parts. Now, individually, Hayden Hurst, first-round pick, Debo Samuel and Brian, you know, second-round picks, you know, really good players. And so um, they didn't do enough with them, but – how much of that was – we knew Debo Samuel was really good out of high school, right? We knew that. But how much was the individual development of the staff? Was it just that the offense wasn't good? If you talk to Hayden Hurst, who's obviously a massively talented dude and an extremely hard worker, I give him a ton of credit for it. But he would credit – well, Muschamp, Pat Washington, his position coach at the time, he would give those guys a ton of credit for his development. You know, so I think it's uh, – Again, it's subjective. It's nuanced. It's not at the end of the day, the ultimate measure that people are going to use is they're going to say. You're going to take a bunch of classes of players and they're going to say, how many games did you win? How many guys went to the NFL? If the answer is a bunch on both of them, then you've developed well at the end of the day. that That's how people are going to like ultimately measure it. But if you're really diving down into like minutia of it, it's sort of a 
you know, it, it is sort of a hard question to answer because of all the different factors that go in it. Well, and the, the, the exact question, you know, is it more on the players or the coaches? Dude, let, let's be honest, man. You and I have seen some guys come through here that have de- that have really, really developed. Um, and, and I'll say that, I mean, you just go back, Spurrier era, um, this staff, across the board. Yeah. I mean, as much as, much as fans like to sit here and, and talk about, uh, you know, the staff and whether they win or not, all these things. At the end of the day, if you're coaching at the college level, you know something about developing a football player. Well, what what I see, man, is the guys that really, really develop are the guys that at, that just bust their tails. You know, you no, none of these guys are developing by being lazy. None of these guys are developing by not putting in the work. Now. Then you get to the question, well, is it on the coach to try and do different things to motivate a guy? Is it on a coach to push the buttons? Is it on a coach? So Some coaches are better at digging that out of a guy. And some coaches, some coaches fit with one personality, and they maybe don't fit with a different personality. Some coaches are really good at adjusting their approach, just like a teacher. Coaching is teaching. Some teachers can get a lot out of – multiple types of personalities. But point being, at the end of the day, the players that I've really seen, de- seen develop here are the ones that really care and the ones that put in the extra work and are open-minded to what that coach is telling them. Um, and then you you know what? If, every Everything you can say right now, though, is fair. There are no wrong opinions because then you get back to – if somebody can say, well, it's your five, these are the people you recruited – completely fair i mean that, that is a fair argument but the reason why the reason why you can make that argument and the reason why i can turn around and make a counter argument is because none of this stuff is completely cut and dry none of this stuff is is a black or white thing where it's just completely clear how, how much of the issues right now are just because of the status of south carolina's program playing in a league where half of the other teams in the league have you know, a better history than you. It's not a excuse. It's a fact. So I don't know. At times we all argue, everybody, you know, people on Gamecock Central argue and you get into the sort of this um, sunshine pumpers versus negative Nellies and all this stuff when really there's a ton of ground right there in the, in the middle where uh, lots of different arguments can be, I think, success, successfully made about the team right now about the program right now and about what needs to happen moving forward. Uh, Chris, we did we, the last 30 minutes has flown by, but I do want you to tell everybody a little bit about your story um, on Gamecock central. And again, hopefully, and, and most of the people that we have on here are fantastic. And I feel like the great thing about this show is we've been able to, the chat feature is awesome we're able to sort of interact with you guys and girls in, in real time. And we don't all have to, uh, we don't have to agree on any of this stuff, but the fun thing is everybody that I've interacted with on the show has been awesome as far as, Hey, this is, this is how I feel, whether we disagree or agree with reasonings and who should be playing and what the reasons are, we can all sort of respectfully agree or disagree, um, which is more and more rare in our current overall culture right now. But Chris, I when when you wrote this story, I was like, dude, you're going to catch some heat on this. And really, I think you were putting out the story just like, hey, here are some facts that maybe you didn't know. And it, it doesn't even have, you're not even really giving an opinion in this story. You're just saying, here are some facts. Take it for what you will. But they are interesting facts, and I think the fact that people start talking about it speaks to how sort of interesting it is. Every single person, uh, and we eventually will tell you a little bit about what's in the story, but every every single person I passed the raw figures on to said, I did not know that, or I would not have thought that. And there's some reasons for that. So the story... um, it is on our front page of GamecockCentral.com right now. Go check it out if you will. 
Um, it is free to read because I wanted to open it up to everybody. Um, and we got a lot of discussion going on on the Insiders Forum for our subscribers if you want to go check that out. But uh, basically, somehow or another, I looked a- across figures of, well, Muschamp's obviously been here four years. So I looked at what Steve Spurrier did his first four years as well. There were a few differences, obviously. I mean, non-conference opponents are different. Sometimes the crossover opponents are different. One year, Spurrier had one less game because you remember in 2006, that was the year they went to the 12-game regular season schedule instead of 11, which I'd forgotten, actually. Um, But Spurrier and Muschamp, after four years at South Carolina, had the exact same conference record. It's 15 and 17 for both guys. Um, I also looked at, okay, well, how many – I wonder how many top 20 – I had no idea. How many top 25 wins did each coach have through through four years? And I use the coaches poll and I use postseason polls because preseason polls, frankly, aren't worth much. You know, um, they each had three. You know, Spurrier was, I think, three and 16. Muschamp's three and 14. So uh, I just pointed that out. And then additionally point out after that, Spurrier turned it around. Right. We, we know that um, it was not in year five. Actually, year five uh, was a seven win season. Um in, in 2009, they did beat Clemson that year, an unranked Clemson team, what turned out to be an unranked Clemson team. But then the Papa John's Bowl happened. I don't, we don't need to go into that debacle. Um, people were big mad after, after that year. And so year six was obviously the big, big tipping point, the turning point when they won the SEC East title. Then from there, uh, they went on to win 11 straight for three straight seasons after that. So, uh, just looked at what Spurrier did, how it, it was a struggle despite his pedigree at Florida. Um, that's what he did. That's what Muschamp's done, despite whatever he did at Florida. Um, it's been very, very similar. Um, but Spurrier, I sort of showed, talked a little bit about the story, how he turned it around, coaching changes, recruiting, went through some of the things that have changed lately in Muschamp's tenure, and then just posed the question of, we don't really know. It's either going to get better or, or it won't. Um, and we don't know yet. We're not going to have the answer to that right now during the bye week of, of, of year five. Yeah. So, um, y'all go check that out. That, that is actually a free story. Um, by the way, Craig mentioned on here, he wished this was on zoom. I, I do think that's something, um, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I, I think that's something maybe for, um, subscribers and our, our people that also are very, sort of loyal here on the show. We may, we maybe Chris can do something like that one day where we all just hop on zoom and do like a private, but we won't stream it out. We'll do like a private zoom, either pregame discussion or, or something just, uh, you know, where everybody can sort of interact a little bit more. And I still, I, I've hesitated to do it because of everything with COVID and everything, but I, I would like to do a Gamecock Central watch party at Market on Main where as opposed to us just promoting, uh, you know, hey, go watch the game at Market on Main, which you should do anyway. It's more like, hey, let's all um, let's get a lot of our, our subscribers and our normal posters and stuff out there, um, you know, and, and maybe watch the game together type thing or, or do a little pregame or, or pregame event or pre even preseason event next year is something that, that we would love to do. Um, obviously market on Maine, one of our sponsors, but also a place that I, we, we really only bring on sponsors if it's places we frequent or, you know, people we believe in, in the first place. So, um, I watched the game there on Saturday. So I think it'd be cool to maybe try to get everybody out there for a game. If not this year, maybe next year, once things are hopefully a little bit closer to normal, uh, Chris, uh, before we get out of here, why don't you tell everybody about the game day cheer? Yeah. So, uh, while you're at home watching Gamecock football games, whether they're home games and you're not able to get in this year, away games, make sure you sort of level up your watching experience with the game day chair from AffordableMedicalUSA.com. Go there, search for the Maxi Comfort Cloud with Twilight Technology. Huge chair, super comfortable, power pillow, lumbar support, TV watching position, lounge position, Twilight position, which is the zero gravity lay flat position. You can get all of them with just the push of a button. So make sure you call them at 803-926-1493 or visit their website. We've also got links on their YouTube description and on GamecockCentral.com. So appreciate 
their support of our daily show here and make sure you support those guys as well. Hey, what's up, uh, Flight Academy Kicks? I recognize that name. I uh, I won't give away your real name, man, um, since you're incognito, I guess, but a good buddy of mine. Uh, hadn't talked to you in a while, man. Shoot me a text. Uh, all right, so I think that's going to about do it for today. I, I know Chris has everybody changing their schedules around because uh, he's got to do 107.5 at 2.30. So we're going to go let him do that. If you missed the start of the show, um, <laughs> Josh says he can't go to market on Maine because uh, he can't throw things at their TV. So that, yeah, that will probably get you kicked out. Um, it's a very big, expensive TV, so uh, probably not a good idea. But, but, yeah, I think it'd be fun to get out there and, and hang with everybody, so maybe we can do that at some point. If you're joining in late, go back. Uh, this will be archived on all the podcast uh, platforms and, of course, on YouTube, which I think is the best place. Um, anyway, Graham, no worries, man. You can go back and watch it right now on YouTube. Um, do we? All right, tomorrow's Thursday, right? Um, two, two o'clock tomorrow? Uh, yeah, as far as I know, I, I'm not going to rock the boat anymore with that with a uh, with a time change. So I think we're good. I think we got. I think we might have Perry and Kimry on um, double double action tomorrow. I think so. We'll maybe save one of those for Friday. I'm not sure, but uh, the next couple of days we have Perry Orth, Eric Kimry on to uh, talk about the season so far from sort of an offensive and, and quarterback perspective so all right for uh for chris i'm wes appreciate everybody in the comments appreciate everybody watching listening all the support uh just very very much appreciated so we'll see y'all tomorrow okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.